0: Thank you, great job. Take your Bibles, turn back with me again to Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse number 12. So good to see you here on this break weekend. We're glad that you have made your way to be among us this morning. Paul has just told his readers that he had suffered the loss of all things in order to gain Christ. To be found in him, to know him in both his suffering and in the power of his resurrection. Did this mean that Paul had somehow arrived spiritually? Well, Paul wanted to head off any such thoughts and so he begins in verse number 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That I may ho- lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press forward toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. I want us to begin looking this morning, first of all, the, stork, the starting block. Paul begins with an analogy of an athletic event. He talks about the Christian life as a race. At the outset, Paul deals a crushing blow to any kind of perfectionism, past or present, recognizing that he has not yet arrived. There is always a danger, especially for those of us who have been Christians for a long time, to look down on the struggles of others and think, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like them, that I don't have those kinds of struggles. There are those today that believe in theological perfectionism. It's called complete or total sanctification. It's the belief that a Christian can reach a place of spiritual, moral perfection where one is above sin. They believe this is not a result of progress, but rather the result of an instantaneous second work of grace in the life of a believer. When Paul makes the statement, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, he has been a Christian for over 25 years. This is, after all, the Apostle Paul. There can be no doubt that Apostle Paul was one of the outstanding Christians of all time. Yet he was still in process. He had not yet arrived. You know, if that's true of the Apostle Paul... That's probably true of you and I as well. Charles Swindoll reminds us, he says, we ourselves are imperfect people, living in an imperfect world, surrounded by imperfect people. We continue to model imperfections on a daily basis. There's also a belief in pragmatic perfectionism, which is, well, I'm as perfect as God intends for me to be, or maybe I'm at least as perfect as I care to be, which is really nothing more than just rationalizing where we are and that we're okay where we are spiritually. One of the most difficult problems we face as Christians is to recognize that no matter how thoroughly we've been converted and no matter how deeply we love the Lord, we still sin. First John 1, 8, and 9 certainly lays that to rest. The fact is the closest to perfection that any of us will ever reach in this life is to see that we have not yet reached the finish line, that we must keep running toward the goal. It is one of the great paradoxes of the Christian faith that only those who understand their lack of perfectionism have reached spiritual maturity. Then in the second part of verse 12, Paul writes, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has also laid hold of me. Paul says that the goal of his pursuit is to make it my own because Christ has already made me his own. Since Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, he is a a new passion, and a new purpose in life. And now Paul wants to run in such a way as to gain the prize at the finish line because Christ has already seized him at the starting line. Secondly, we begin to look at the race itself. Paul had not yet arrived at perfection, but he is very much still in the race. In fact, Paul uses that athletic imagery of a A runner engaged in a race who wants to win the prize. And I want to point out three things about this race. First of all, if we're going to do this successfully, we have to learn to live with the past. Since Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus, I said he had a new purpose and goal in life. It was summed up in verse 10 where he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Yet Paul had a big obstacle in his path. Has passed. If you live very long, you'll find yourself thinking about, sure wouldn't be wonderful if we could start our lives over again. knowing that knowing what we know now I don't want to go back if I can't remember what I've already learned, but if I could go back remembering what I've learned, uh, that would be good. If we could do that, then we would use what we know to avoid some of the costly mistakes that we've made in our lives. But that's not how life works. In fact, I guess we have to make those mistakes in order to gain that knowledge. There's been times in my life that I would like to have a chance to do some things over again. And you can probably think of things in your life that you would like to change. We call those memories the past. And as much as we might like to erase them, we can't do anything about them. So what can we do? Well, the mistakes that we made are there, and there's nothing we can do to change them, but there is hope. The good news of the gospel is that it is possible to begin again. There is forgiveness for the past in Christ. The past, if we look back, holds both good and bad memories. We can remember the good times. We remember times when we were happy and we were enjoying life. We can remember the special events in life. We remember... Birthdays and graduations and weddings and anniversaries. And good memories are wonderful things that we can recall and we can enjoy them and they bring a smile to our face and joy to our hearts. Well, what is the past? Only two things. Great attainments and accomplishments that could either make us proud by reliving them or indifferent by resting in them, or failures and defeats that cannot help but arouse feelings of guilt. And shame. The past can, however, give us some perspective. The past can teach us many things about living in the present. And when the past helps us to be more knowledgeable and wiser, then that's a good thing. But the past can also be a prison for some people. You see, it's possible to allow the past to put us into bondage. Along with the good memories, there can be memories of past failures and mistakes. Sometimes our memories can serve to haunt us. Our failures can cause us to see ourselves as failures who are unable to break the pattern of failure in our lives. So how do we deal with the past? Well, there are at least a couple of ways that we can deal with the past. One is we can relive the past. When we do this, we rerun the past in great detail in our imaginations and our minds, and over and over and over again, we continue to beat ourselves up over things that are forever gone. The story is told of one case where a woman went to a lawyer to take out a paper against her ex-husband. She was just haggard with emotion and nervous and upset to the point that she seemed ill, Trembling, she related at length how bad her ex-husband was. And how ever since their divorce, he had been poisoning her son's mind against her and ruining her relationship with him. Well, she seemed a little bit old to have a young child at home, so the attorney interrupted and he asked her, So how old is your son? He just turned 32. Oh, said the attorney, and how long ago was the divorce? About 17 years, she said. The woman had made her divorce a career. It became a way of life. And we can allow the past to do that to us. Or we can refuse to be dominated by the past. We can recognize that while the past is an unchangeable part of our history... We are more than what the past has revealed about us. We have a choice about how we will deal with the memories of the past. Paul tells us to deal with the past by forgetting it. He says in verse 13, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Paul says the past is to be forgotten. But what does Paul mean when he says forget the past. When he's speaking of forgetting the past, he's not talking about some kind of amnesia, the inability to remember it at all. Although there may be things in our past that we would like to erase from our memories, unfortunately, God has created our minds to be incredibly powerful. So what is the nature of forgetting them then? It is the kind of forgetting that occurs when we cease to let things that are in the past overshadow the present, that lets the past be past, both the good and the bad, and constantly looks forward to the work that God still has for us now. I believe that Paul is saying about the past in the sense that we don't allow past failure, hurt, disappointments to keep us from experiencing God's best for us today. Don't allow the past to hold you hostage to past failures, mistakes, and disappointments. And you may be saying to yourself, well, brother John, that's that's great, but it's easier said than done. And you'd be absolutely right. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ can release us from sin and from the guilt of sin. There is nothing in our past that is too great for our God to handle. There is no sin too big for God to forgive. God can enable us to release the past and to move on to what he has for us in the present. Paul himself is an example of that truth. Paul's misguided persecution of the church must have been a sense of immense guilt in his life. He could have been debilitated by that guilt. But he didn't give into that power and he didn't allow it to hold him hostage. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 14 he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer... A persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Paul's personal testimony holds out hope to all of us that we can believe that we can rise above our past. In a very real sense, a Christian can look at their life and say, I've failed failed in the past, I know it. But this is not the best I will be. What was is not what by the grace of God I will one day be. We are to live with the past, but we have to live in the present. He says, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Paul says that we must not only forget the past, we have to be actively engaged in the present. We understand that God truly has a plan for our lives, then we have to begin to look to the future with hope. If we want to live successfully in the present, we must not only put aside the past, but we must become actively engaged in the present. The past tries to trap us by discouraging us to the point that we're too depressed and too exhausted to even try anymore. It is an ordeal for a truly depressed person to even get out of bed. The temptation is to just sit around all day and engage in some kind of mind numbing television. Sometimes the first step in restoring joy in our lives is we have to get out of bed and do something. Preferably do something for someone else. It'll change your perspective. Paul said that he is reaching forward to that which lies ahead. And the word that he uses here is a word that is the picture of a foot race. The Christian life is a commitment to do something as well as to be something. In other words, Paul compares the Christian life to a number of athletic images. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, he compares it to a wrestling match. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, he compares it to a foot race. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, he compares it to a boxing match. The thing about those are they're all action. When Jesus calls us, it's not just an, an invitation to believe in him intellectually, but it is to follow him. Verse twelve says, "Not that I have already attained or have already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me." We're not only called to live in the present; but we are called to live for the future. Verse fourteen, he says, "I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus." Two things. First of all, <clears throat> it calls for Determination. Paul is determined to focus on the future, not the past. He is not simply reaching forward. He is giving it all. Paul tells us that he presses on. This is the same word that is used in verse 6 when Paul talked about his zealousness in persecuting the church. The word literally means to pursue. And it carries the idea of intense endeavor. He now has the same intensity and determination in pursuing God's plan for his life. We must also have that kind of determination and our focus for the future if we are to overcome the demons of the past. Someone has written, Nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are important. Secondly, discipline. In his letter to the church at Corinth, Paul said, everyone who competes in the the games goes into strict training. They do this to get a crown that will not last but we to get a crown that will last forever. And then also, deliberation, our focus. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So what is the goal that he's talking about? Is it heaven? No. It's not heaven because salvation is not the subject then the goal cannot be heaven. But rather, as a saved citizen of heaven, what should our goals be? Well, I just want to give you three things to think about. First of all, one of our goals is to see Jesus face to face. One of the most precious promises in the Word of God is found in John chapter 14 in verse 3 where Jesus is comforting his disciples. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. There's a wonderful image image in that verse when it says, And I will receive you to myself. It literally means, and I will receive you face to face. Paul wanted to hear God call his name and summon him to the victory stand, where he will meet Jesus face to face and know him completely. We will not only see Jesus face to face, but we want to be able to hear him say, well done. The greatest words that you will ever hear in your entire existence will be the words that Jesus speaks when you get to heaven. He gives us the, he gives us the image in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 21. He's telling the story about a man who stands before his Lord to receive his, his works and his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. One of the precious things about getting to, the, to see the Lord in heaven will be able to hear him say, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then lastly, to glorify him by the race that we have run. The greatest privilege... Of all is recorded by John in the book of Revelation. At the end of the age, believers will gather around the throne of God, and they will worship and glorify their Savior. John says in, in Revelation 4 and verse 10, and the four the twenty-four elders fell down for, for him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. We run not to gain heaven but that which we receive by grace through faith. We run, we work in order to please him to glorify him who gave his life as an atonement for our sin. The last thing we look at is the goal in verses 15 and 16. Therefore, let us, as many as mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to you. First of all, he talks about maturity. The King James translates the word mature in verse 15 as perfect Who then are the perfect people that Paul is referring to? Is Paul now contradicting what he said earlier about his own inability to attain perfection? No. In truth, Paul is saying that the only people who could claim to be part of the perfect ones, or literally mature ones, are those who knew that they were running a race. And seeking a goal was the only mark of perfection possible on this earth. And then secondly, he talked about responsibility in verse 16. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. As Christians, you and I are responsible to live out and to put into practice what we have learned. It's not just an academic exercise in which you come into the auditorium and you listen to the word of God preached and you go home and live like you did before. You are responsible to put into practice what you've learned. Though we are not perfect, that is not an excuse to not run a race with determination, discipline, and deliberation. Call it, Christ is calling us To the victory stand and we must run as hard as we can until we cross the finish line let's pray father thank you for always challenging our hearts helping us to recognize that we're not through until we get home and if we're still here you still have a purpose for us there may be those here today that are struggling with the past. The past has disabled them. Father, I pray that they might gain victory over the past and realize that you have a purpose for their lives, a purpose in the present and in the future. If there's one here that has never received you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray that right here, right now, that they might turn to you recognize that Jesus did pay for their sins on the cross on Calvary, repent of their sins and ask Jesus to forgive them that they might gain heaven and they might gain it today. For those of us who are Christians, we can still allow the past to keep us from being all that you intend us to be. Lord, I pray you give us victory. I pray that you'd help us as we Strive to walk with you, that we live in the present and we live for the future. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.